the name of the robot is called Sawyer. And why is it named Sawyer? With a robot, uh, especially a, a collaborative robot that you're asking people to work side by side with now, uh, it's better. Our philosophy was to to have it give it a name like Sawyer and not like the X9 1000 model robot. So it's an attempt to give the robot a little bit more of a, a personality and to make it more approachable to the people who are working side by side with robots who we've always told them to stay away because they're dangerous. And, mm-hmm. and now that we've got a collaborative robot working next to them, it's, it's a way to help reduce those barriers between people and robots. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff. Today, we're talking about a robot with a name. Our guest is Mike Fair, product manager of Rethink Robotics, a prominent company in the collaborative robotics field. I sat down with Mike at this year's International Machine Tool Show to talk cobots. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graff Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graffpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. How you doing, Mike? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. First, just to start, explain Rethink Robotics. What What is the company all about? What's the product? Sure. Uh, Rethink Robotics has been uh, a company that was founded in 2008. So we've been in the market for, for 10 years. The company was originally founded uh, to create collaborative robots and uh, help manufacturers have easy-to-use robots that are flexible and are able to rapidly be deployed. And what's your background? How did you get involved? My background is actually in engineering, uh, mechanical engineer by uh, by degree, and then over time I I evolved into customer-facing roles, uh, I went to the business school, and, and now I'm a product manager at the company. I formerly worked at iRobot, which is where our founder, Rodney Brooks, uh, was one of the three original founders of iRobot, where they make the Roombas and vehicles like the PackBot, uh, which are bomb disposal and hazmat-type robots. So I see. And then you knew the, uh, the creator from that, and he said, come over. Yep, so I, I knew of Rod uh, when I was at iRobot, and then there were a few ex-iRobot employees that started working at the company, and it was really interesting space, and uh, I thought it was a great opportunity. Were you at Teradyne as well? Yes, I was at Teradyne for about 10 years. Okay. Yeah, I noticed they were getting into... Ro- they're, you know, they, they purchased 
uh, universal robot. So That's I thought correct. that was interesting. It, it, it's more of a coincidence. Uh, I was long gone, uh, and, and then they bought the robot company after that. Okay, so you've been around robots a while, even before this company. What are some of the main applications of the Rethink Robotics? So, what's it, And what's the name of it again? The name of the robot is called Sawyer. And why is it named Sawyer? With a robot, uh, especially a, a collaborative robot, that you're asking people to work side by side with now, uh, it's better, our philosophy was to, to have it, give it a name like Sawyer and not like the X9-1000 model robot. So it's an attempt to give the robot a little bit more of a, a personality and to make it more approachable to the people who are working side by side with robots who we've always told them to stay away because they're dangerous. And, mm -hmm. and now that we've got a collaborative robot working next to them, it's, it's a way to help reduce those barriers between people and robots. Right. And is that why, you know, the robot, the appearance is interesting. They all have kind of a, a tablet as the, the head on the robot. That's a bit of a unique thing. It is a unique feature. The, the display on the robot is the way you interact with the robot, so you can work with it and teach it how to do a task. It, it has eyes during runtime, and it, and it looks towards where it's going. Uh, again, all the eyes in attempt to have the robot be more approachable to the people working around it. Interesting. Tell me, what, what are some of the applications that these robots would be for specifically? Yep. So really, wherever there's repetitive tasks that people are doing that are either mundane or dangerous or not very pleasant uh, or dirty situations are great spots for robots. And this particular robot is primarily designed for CNC machine tending, so operating a lathe, for example, loading and unloading parts, particularly where there's long cycle times where people are just standing by waiting for that machine cycle to complete. So robots are really good at doing these tasks. They can work these machines. They can also do packaging. Packaging is another really good use for a cobot because it's repetitive and it helps take away those those tasks from people which are just really boring and and we find from a lot of our customers that a lot of people don't want to do these uh, types of jobs and um, the robots help fill the gaps especially when it comes to, to labor beyond packaging there's integrated circuit card testing where printed circuit cards are are placed into testers and that really requires a lot of precision out of the robot. So Sawyer is a high-performance robot that, that can do these types of tasks. And a, a board goes into a tester, and then minutes later, it's complete. The robot can receive a signal from the tester, and it can test good or bad parts. Wow. And how uh, precise is its testing? The robot has the ability to have a task repeatability of about 0.1 millimeters. That's about four thousandths of an inch. Four thou. But is there still doubt? Is there still the need to have another person inspecting the inspection of the robot? <laughs> um, it all depends on the application. Uh, certainly where there are applications that require a certain amount of cognitive ability or dexterity from humans or, or understanding what quality means, to the extent that you have processes that can be replicated and repeated time and time again, then you would get good quality out of the robot. Intricate processes that may not completely remove humans from the process. Mm -hmm. May or may not. May or may not. Yeah. 
So is the next step to remove more need for human in the shop? I think that humans will will be needed to do a lot of tasks uh, in manufacturing. I, I think that the the systems will continually be easier to deploy, and and they'll be able to de- deploy more of them. And as I mentioned a bit earlier in the podcast, there's quite a gap in the the availability of labor. A lot of the customers that we talk to at this show at IMTS come to us and they say, I have a real labor problem. I I have a shortage of labor or there's a lot of turnover in my shop and I need a solution for labor. Mm -hmm. They're not necessarily looking for a robot to replace labor. They're just trying to, to keep their machines running. How does your robot compare to some of the other cobots that I'm seeing? I, I there's Universal Robot. There's I noticed uh, Mitsubishi had their own uh, robot at this show. Uh, why would somebody buy yours versus some of these others? Yeah, there are a lot of collaborative robots in the market now, and I think that's good validation that there's a real market for these type of of systems. And that's why you're seeing more and more offerings from different companies. Rethink Robotics is focused on making a robot that's really easy to deploy. So we we really put a lot of focus on the software side of getting the robot to, to do these type of tasks. Our robot Sawyer is a seven degree of freedom robot. That means it has seven axes. And usually some of the other collaborative robots have a six axis. Uh, type of architecture. The seventh degree of freedom gives you a lot more maneuverability in Where the workspace. Where is this? What is the seventh axis? Um, it, it's actually a redundant joint. So if you think about uh, a human arm, you've got your shoulder, your elbow, but you can also twist your wrist around, right? So uh, that seventh axis really gives you more maneuverability in the workspace and to reduce some of the challenges around dead, dead spaces in the workspace. If you're trying to pack a box, for example, you have to reach the entire volume of a box. But a six axis robot may not reach all four corners of the bottom of the box. So uh, a seventh axis really helps you to approach that box differently and get the arm up and over the wall of the box, as an example. And then we also have an embedded vision system in the robot. Right. I was really impressed with that. You, you, uh, you put a whole bunch of bolts on the table, and then the robot could figure out where all of them were? There's a system that we have in our software. It's called the Robot Positioning System. And we leverage decals that are placed as visual cues in the workspace. And these decals, their their technological term is called a fiducial registration marker. And these little decals, we call them landmarks. Uh, That's our product name for it. You put those on your machines or on your fixtures, and the robot has the ability to look at those either during startup, the camera will go over and automatically scan all of the different landmarks in your work cell, and it positions the robot relative to the equipment. And this is really important because it allows for rapid redeployability, and also it can adapt to variation in the environment. You can teach the robot if if something shifts or if something moves and there's sensor input that maybe there's a mispick, for example, you could tell the robot, go look at your landmark and then try again. So it can really adapt on the fly and dynamically in the workspace. We can also use that vision system for 
part localization, so finding parts out in front of the field of view of the camera and determining their orientation for proper picking and proper placing, as well as inspection for part presence and absence. So looking at an assembly and is their part there, is it not there, should I send a signal to the operator nearby to come fix this problem. And describe the programming process. I, I'm, my assumption is it's, it's pretty quick to learn. It is very quick to learn, and that's, that's the beauty of our software. How quick is quick? <laughs> so the, the software is called Intera, Intera Software, and the name of the software really comes from, it's, it's short for interactive. Okay. And the Intera software is truly that. You, you physically grab the robot arm with two hands. There's no traditional teach pendant that you have to hold in your hand or scripting or, or coding required with our robot. So the Intera software is directly interacting with the robot arm, and we've got a couple of buttons that are, resemble a video game controller. There's a, a square button, a circle button, and an X button, and a menu button. And, and those are on the arm. They're, they're not actually on the... Um Tablet. Correct. That, you yep. don't push the tablet at all. There's no pushing of tablets on our robot. Yep. Interesting. So with those simple controls, you can put the robot to work in some basic applications like pick and place, and you just move the robot through the workspace, and you interact with that robot by clicking those buttons. And, and we call this direct teaching, or what we call it is train by demonstration, because you're you're guiding the robot manually through the workspace by maneuvering its arm and teaching it how to do the task. And what's next? What, what, is, what, what is the next step? Voice recognition, or is that there yet? Well, voice recognition, the technology is definitely there. I, I think that in manufacturing settings, there's a lot of different con considerations around the environment, like right, loud right. noises, and uh, we want to make sure users have a really good experience, and if it's a loud factory environment, you don't want somebody yelling at the robot to, to command it to do something. So uh, technology's there, it's, it's totally feasible, but it all comes down to what's the practical application of the robot to get it to work in that environment. So what's next? I think you'll see a lot of improvements around the ability of the robot to be more easily deployed in an environment by reducing the amount of integration required. So to have the Sawyer robot or any robot connect to another machine to signal, mm -hmm. start, run, ready, those type of things, we'll continue to make improvements in, and try to help the users be able to do that much more quickly and easily. Well, will people, say, be on their smartphone in another room and they'll be able to control it from there? Or is that not... It's, it's entirely possible. Yeah, if, sure. if it makes sense for the application. I think what you'll see probably is a lot more data uh, being being communicated to people who are responsible for the robot. And we've, we've already taken steps in our product today with that heads-up display that's on top of the Sawyer screen where the eyes are. Mm -hmm. You can also change that, and you can create a customizable dashboard of data. So things like part count cycle time and those are right on the robot screen so if you're walking down your factory floor you have a glance idea of how your robot's performing that day so that's the first step in being able to provide information to what was people. what would be the performance metrics that you'd look at you can design your own so most frequently what we see customers using for is cycle time 
in uh, part count. So they want to know how many parts have been processed in that shift or that day or that week. And you certainly... How many have been inspected? How many have been... Pass, fail. Exactly. And you can actually take that information and export it out to existing systems today, existing industrial protocols, and collect that information and data and communicate it in any way you want. You know, I, I try to explain these kind of cobots to certain people, and they go, well, what is the difference between that and, you know, the traditional FANUC that most people associate with robots in the shop? Mm. So I, I do think there's a little bit of um, misunderstanding when it comes to people looking at cobots. And, and I think that some people can as automatically assume because a cobot is collaborative that it's 100% safe. And, and I think that's a little bit of a misconception. Really, it comes down to the application, and, and the, especially with the way the standards are written and the guidelines from the international standards community, it, it says that it's all about conducting a risk assessment. And I think that's the piece where uh, end users aren't quite familiar with how to do a risk assessment. It's evaluating risks and hazards in the workspace to protect humans from threats. So it's, it's the old put a knife in the end of the robot's arm situation where but are these are the the traditional robots are they doing the same tasks they certainly could be doing the same tasks uh, their their traditional automation is really good at doing some of the tasks that are superhuman like ultra precise extremely fast millions and millions of cycles cobots are really good at doing the high turnover sort of low quantity type of runs and shops and the, the difference is is that, that cobots do have systems in place that make a robot safe to work around. Mm -hmm. But if, if you do have a dangerous application, then you'll still need to guard it. So it really doesn't matter if you've got an industrial robot or a cobot handling a knife. You'd have to protect it the same way. Okay. Right? But if it is a safe application through through conducting that, that risk assessment, then, yeah, it's perfectly okay to have a, a cobot working side by side with people. And so you don't need a fence with a cobot. You don't need a fence unless your application is unsafe. Maybe a, an application that might be unsafe is the robot working in a, uh, a place where you're doing metal forming and it's handling a really thin, sharp piece of sheet metal and, mm -hmm. and moving that around the workspace. That, that could be sharp and it could cause a, a, a cut on somebody if they contact the part. Right? If they touch the robot, they'll be okay, but it's, it's all about right. the part. Because the robot arm is made of aluminum. Yes. And, like, coated in plastic or...? Uh, it's just painted. It's, it's an aluminum robot painted red with a rethink red. So it, if it hits you on the head, it's probably not going to hurt you too bad. Uh, and it, didn't you say it has, like, you program it so it, it will make contact with you once and it'll go one more time before it just shuts down? Yeah, our strategy for interacting with humans and if you bump into the robot, it will it will remain working unless that obstruction doesn't move. Uh, and, and in that case, it tests twice by default. And if, it, if you bump into it twice, then the robot will stop its task and you just have to go over and hit run again. But if it bumps into you once, we have in our control system, we, we want the robot to be productive and working because that's it's got a job to do. And with people working side by side with humans, it's inevitable that somebody will bump into the robot and we want the robot to keep going. So with other 
pieces of automation or other cobots, you'd actually the robot would stop. You'd have mm-hmm. to go get the teach pendant. You'd have to uh, unlock the joints or, or re-establish home and then hit play. And that's a lot of time lost if you just happen to bump into a robot. And how long does it take for, for somebody to learn? So we have a lot of customers who get our robots, they put it on the floor, and they get it up and running in, in, in a day. It, of course, it depends on the complexity of the application. Right. Somebody who has no knowledge of this robot, is there like a online course or is there... We do have free online training that you can go and learn how to use the robot. And that is a ver- develops a really good knowledge base of, of every uh, part of the system. Usually when we deliver a robot, we deliver it with a, a half a day of, of training. And hmm. sometimes uh, our, distribution, our distribution partners will actually um, provide some specific application training relative to how they want to deploy the robot. And, and that becomes a, be a little bit more customized. But it is really easy to use. And if you basically can use uh, or understand how a flowchart works, the Intera software is based on what's called behavior trees. And uh, essentially, you're building these little flowcharts to tell the robot its order of operations on how to do the task. So it's very graphical. You just plug in your laptop. If, if you want to work beyond just interacting with the arm and get a little more control over the robot, plug in your laptop, dial up the robot, uh, and you can you can do some modifications on your laptop. It's really easy. Oh, cool. And how much does one cost? The Sawyer robot, including the software with all the integrated vision system uh, that we talked about, is around uh, 35000 34900 for the robot. And then we also offer a, an array uh, or a family of gripper kits. When, and this is really important part of, of deploying robots is, mm-hmm. is a gripper. It's usually one of the biggest challenges because it's often very customized to a particular application, so grippers aren't overly flexible. Then once you set it up, you, ha- you have to break it down. If you want to change applications, you need an- another new gripper. So we have a line of grippers called the ClickSmart family of grippers, and they are basically build-your-own gripper kits. They're like an erector set for gripper kits. You get a kit, and it's got a bunch of components in there, like suction cups and air hoses and valves and valves. So you get to customize it yourself. You get to customize it yourself. And that means that you can get up and running really quickly. Mm-hmm. And then you can also tweak it and change it to, to if you get a different part you want to run and modify it very quickly. Very cool. One last thing. Where are they making them and where are you selling them all over the world? Yep. Sawyer is available in the market globally. We're in, in Asia, Southeast Asia, and in Europe, and North America. And we sell through uh, distribution partners glo- uh, globally. So distribution partners usually offer complementary products to the robot, like conveyors or sensors or other equipment that really help build out a work cell. And we, we can sell this thing um, through our partners. And the lead times are usually very short because they, they stock inventory. Okay. And where is it made? Sawyer is made in the USA. Not nice. too far from our Boston headquarters. Awesome. Well, I, I'm, I'm very intrigued. Yeah, it sounds like a great product. Hope, Thank you. I, I wish you guys the best. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me.
Hey, everybody. First, we just want to thank you for listening to the podcast. It boosts our egos, and of course, your ears are the reason we do this. But it would be great if you could subscribe and leave a review, as it'll help other people discover it. Talk to you soon.